The Pace Line is produced by The Cycling Independent, the only cycling media completely free of commercial influence. We are community-supported and dedicated to the whole of cycling. As our tagline says, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin Robot Sir Lewis. Uh, <laughs> each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Uh, each week, I add a new name. <laughs> yeah, you know, it seems to lend itself to a certain element of creativity. Jingleheimer Schmidt goes on next. <laughs> <laughs> so, is it true that we both fell down in the last week? Uh, I fell down. Yes. And you also fell down. It's true. We both ate it. And I want to talk about it. (laughs) It seems unavoidable. So let's jump right in. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I actually find myself kind of in a spot and I think it's a spot that you'll relate to. And a lot of people will, will relate to, um, a few weeks ago, I talked about riding on the back of the pack yeah, and, you know, just not having the fitness to be mixing it up and how I was finding that just fine. It's mm-hmm. great. I like it back there. Um, you know, unplugging from the ego part and just enjoying the ride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but on Saturday, I'm doing a hundred kilometer gravel event in New Hampshire. Okay. The, the Trail Mix 100, which is a production of the Ride Studio, Cafe, and Headquarters, that crew. Um, and so suddenly, my lack of base miles is kind of a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I was out. I'm laughing with empathy, not... not uh, yeah, yeah, with, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I get you. I was so I was out yesterday on our weekly gravel ride. Just the guys who are going to do this event, and we all signed up. Like we ride together. This is the stuff we do, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I kept thinking about base miles, and I was thinking like, y- you just can't hurry up and add them. You, it's not like, um, oh, mm-hmm. I need some gels. I'll stop by the shop <laughs> and pick up some gels because I need that, and then I'll be all set. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I thought, but I did think like there's got to be a product opportunity here, instant base miles. But then I remembered that's what EPO is. <laughs> <laughs> Truth. And, and then I thought, <laughs> hear me out here. Then I thought, is it really doping if the event isn't a race and and you're not trying to win? You're just trying not to embarrass yourself. I I think it's all a matter of. You know, well, here, the 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 answer to the question begins with whether or not you have a moral compass. You know, if you don't don't have a moral (laughs) compass, it's doping. You know, um, if 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 so, no moral compass exists out in a vacuum, right? That's yeah, I think that's true. Yeah. 
So in so the context here is the group of guys I ride with. Mm -hmm. And therefore, no, there is. I have no moral compass. (laughs) But that was not an indictment of the folks you ride with. No, no, I love them all, but I would not hesitate to dope and and drop them. (laughs) (laughs) Lovingly, I I would drop them lovingly. I thought you were going someplace very different than that, but uh, I'm 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 willing to roll with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be good for them to get dropped. (laughs) It would be healthy for them. Yeah, it would be healthy for them and maybe healthy for me, too. Other than, you know, I don't want to inject um, oxygen vector. agents into my pristine temple of a body. Um, so, so pristine and temples and, and all that aside, you know, there's a second answer, which is, you know, if you have a moral compass, mm. the answer then depends on whether or not your actions bother you. Yeah. I, you know, I think that doping would bother me. And, and the question is whether I would enjoy laughing at them while I drop them more than it would bother me. Um, and and, and yeah. having never doped, I mean, to it, to enhance performance, um, <laughs> I can't really give you an answer based on experience. So I solved this problem. Mm. I, I, I solved the, the, the churn in my head about, um, you know, this lack of fitness and, you know, impending doom. I solved that by, by just crashing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, right. I forgot about that part of the story. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's where we were headed this whole time. Uh, So I, I got to put the worry about base miles out of my head, uh, and replace them with a, a, what the hell happened there kind of, Mm -hmm. uh, Thing. And and it happened because I crashed and we, it was fairly early in the ride. I was we came to this steep descent, which I know I know very well. It's a trail I ride all the time mm-hmm. and we're diving down and there's a line. There's six of us, which is too many people to be in the woods with. I'll concede to anyone listening. That's too many. Oh, um, oops. Yeah. Everyone does it. But it's for me, it's still too many. It's too busy. Okay. Um, and, and you scare the hell out of the dog walkers. Um, anyway, so we're, we're diving down this hill and I'm somewhere, I think front middle of the line and I descend normally I descend pretty well. Um, and I, and as I said, I know this one very well. I made a mistake about midway down where you're supposed to go on the high side of a tree. And I went on the low side. Mm-hmm. And so I had to grab a bunch of brake. Um, which is the enemy of descending. Mm-hmm. And so I came around the tree and I jumped into the pedals. So I didn't hold up the guy behind me. You're familiar with that move, right? Where you're like, oops, I'm, I'm busting the momentum. So I need to make amends. Yes. Get I, I will now do all I can to get out of the way to show that, that I'm not a bad guy. That's right. Yeah. So I, I jumped into the pedals and I turned down to the last part of the descent and I got back up to speed. I think I had probably told myself, like, I think probably somewhere in my head, the thought you're pretty good at this occurred. You know, you know what I mean? <laughs> I've never done that. No, 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 no. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I should have known as soon as that just 
came unbidden into my consciousness well, that I was now, in trouble. Now let's let's clarify here a second. You know, if you if we had a transcript, would the transcript go, "You're pretty good at this," or or "I'm a badass." Let's be honest. No, it definitely wouldn't have been "I'm a badass." Okay, because that one definitely gets me into trouble. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Um, I'm not immune to that bit of hubris. Uh, but in this particular case, I just, I thought to myself, th- I think the thoughts went something like, I screwed up. Oh no, I can get it back together. I'm pretty good at this. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> kind of in that. Uh-huh. And, and so what happened at the bottom of this trail, there's a little, there's like a two foot lip. There's a drop off. Uh-huh. So you're coming down pretty steep and then. What you, and the and the trail turns right. So really, you should be lifting as you kind of turn and hop. It's like a mini huck down uh-huh. onto the the flat part of the trail. And I think what happened because it's it's clear there's a big opening there. It's really not hard. It's harder to crash than to not. But there's a big rock on the right hand side. And one of two things happened. I either looked at the rock, mm-hmm. which is, which Bad. is no bueno. Yeah. Don't look at the rock. Um, or, and it's been very dry here lately. I think this is likely what happened. I weighted the front of the bike in order to be ready to pull up. Mm-hmm. And as I did that, my front wheel slid in the dry dirt Mm, mm -hmm. and clipped the rock Mm. i think my front wheel slid probably four inches which would be enough which would any time you clip that rock going that speed at that angle you're in trouble which is what i was so then i i i almost kind of kept it together i pulled up as i hit the rock so i didn't go over the bars i kind of like spun sideways and and so what the real injury was my right pedal didn't clip out quick enough mm-hmm. and so my ankle i sprained my ankle because it went mm. with the bike instead of the body uh-huh uh-huh yeah yeah Garden variety right right yeah and i thought that hurt but it's no big deal um i, I hit the ground so i was a little you know compressed but i got up and i was like oh that's no big deal i'm fine i put my foot down and i was like oh no that's that hurts and then i thought right that's not fine maybe walk a little and it'll be fine and i walked a little and it was also not fine but (laughs) but having been this way before um and that ankle is terrible i should just have it removed but um having been this way before, I was like, I'm going to get it clipped it back into the pedal as quick as I can and get rolling. Because if I don't keep it moving, it's going to seize up and the ride is over. Right. It'll be like cement. Right. And we had, we probably at that point had 25 to 30 miles left. Mm -hmm. And I, I really, I was like, I, you know, back to the initial thing, I need these base miles. (laughs) They're no longer base miles. The events on Saturday, but I need this. I need, you know, this ride was like half of the distance we're going to do Saturday. So I felt like I really needed it as a barometer of how badly I was going to suffer or am going to suffer 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A little preview of coming attractions. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to know like, oh, if I do half of the event, how does that feel? And so because I crashed, the data is kind of garbage because if you crash three miles into a 30 something mile ride, turns out it feels terrible no matter what. It just feels bad. So you were infinitely closer to home than you were to actually finishing the ride at the point you crashed. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I was probably, I mean, we had taken a circuitous route, but I was probably, yeah, I was probably two miles from home. Mm. I could have just gone home. But you didn't. I didn't, and not because I'm a hero, but more because I thought, if I don't do this ride, Uh I'm going to have a lot of anxiety about Saturday, and I'm going to be missing this data that I'm hoping to collect about what I'm really capable of. Right. Because data doesn't actually make you more fit. It just alleviates anxiety or increases it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, again, this is an experience you probably have. You've been, you've shown up for an event knowing you weren't, you know, as fit as you'd like to be. Oh, you mean the last event I went to? Yes. (laughs) And, and most of the ones before that, but yeah. So what I, what I know is, or what I have in my head for any event like that is I know I can suffer, Mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, I know this isn't going to be like a a parade to glory, but I can suffer through it. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I'll enjoy parts of that and parts of it will be brutal, but I can live with that. I know what Mm -hmm. that is. And so I just wanted to know how brutal is brutal. Right. Right. How, how buried am I going to be? And I, and I think while I say I didn't get real data because I crashed and I was feeling bad, you know, most of the way, um, you know, I think if I could, I still had more by the time I got home, like I could have kept, obviously I could have kept going. And I should be clear that the ride Saturday is going to be a gravel ride in the sense that it'll have dirt roads, Mm -hmm. pavement, not a lot of single track. This ride that we did was 30 something miles of mostly single track. Oh, uh-huh. so it's a real, you know, bone shaker to borrow a thing. So I think riding 30, whatever, 31, 32 miles with a sprained ankle and, you know, some crash res- residue in my body. Mm-hmm. In a way, I think that is pretty good data for like how a smoother hundred kilometers is going to feel on Saturday. You do. I I think so. I think so. Because what it tells me is, I mean, I can suffer for three hours Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and still feel like I have more. Mm -hmm. And if this is smoother on Saturday, we should make better time. So it Mm -hmm. might be, Mm -hmm. you know, it might be four and a half hours, but I can, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to spin that out. Assuming I can get my right foot clipped in and clipped out again. (laughs) Mm, mm, Details. Yeah. Yeah. No. uh, Moving right along. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll see what's going to happen. Hopefully next week I'll have a, a, a tale of victory for you or a tale of woe. Either way, I I suspect it's going to be a little column A, a little column B. Ah, yes. Woeful victory. 
<laughs> Victorious Woe? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because if I sign up for an event and at some point I don't go, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. Then I've probably signed up for the wrong event. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Like, you don't want an event that's mundane. That's just, you know, yawn. This is what I normally do. I've done a whole lot of 100K road tours, you know, just your standard metric century where they give me a patch at the end or something. Right. Yeah. 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 I've I've done, uh, you know, the only way you'll get me to do a metric century, you know, on the road, not, not counting gravel events, but the only way you'll get me to do a metric century again is if I'm there to help someone along to finishing their first metric century or maybe their second or fourth, whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I gotta say, you know, you, you possess something that I don't. Um, and it's, it's sort of Im- impressive, uh, cause you're still going to the event. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I talk about this with my wife quite a bit because she, she's risk averse in the sense mm-hmm. of when she takes something on, she wants to know what it is. She wants to know that she's prepared adequately for it. Um, she wants to feel pretty confident that she's not going to suffer. And I am more willing to put myself into the blender of experience and press puree (laughs) and see what that tastes like. (laughs) Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, I, I admire that. Uh, I seem to be missing that currently. Um, Mm. cause had I been in your shoes or pedals, um, Mm. I, at the point that I started thinking about the event coming this Saturday, um, I think my verdict would have run somewhere along the lines of, um, uh, jackass. Right. Just in my personal, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah. I mean, I feel the same. (laughs) I feel the same. I think like you're an idiot. What are you doing? But I kind of feel like, you know, you're with your friends in some ways they're going to help you in some ways they're going to hurt you, but it's, you know, it's half a day of, I mean, I hope it's only half a day, but it's <laughs> half a day of, uh, the fun kind of hurt, I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and worse comes to worse. Just keep moving. It'll end eventually. Ah, uh, well, everything does come to an end. That's right. Yeah. Time being unidirectional. Yeah. 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 Second law of thermodynamics. Right. That's right. So this actually brings me to a thing that I'm thinking about post crash. Okay. Um, Because I've, you know, I broke my collarbone last year riding a trail I know well, not executing a skill that I absolutely have. Mm -hmm. And someone said to me, You know, John, the thing is, you have all of the risk tolerance of a younger guy, but the reflexes of a not younger guy. Mm. And that led me to a a string of profanity, (laughs) but also but also that ego check that's like, hmm. Am I really is my mind doing math that my body can't 
execute anymore. Yeah, I'm going to argue against that. I don't I don't think you've slowed in any uh, significantly quantifiable fashion. I, I mean, I love you for saying that, um, but the ev- <laughs> but the evidence is mounting. <laughs> I I submit that correlation is not causation. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, I made a conscious decision. I don't know. A few years ago, I was on I was on a ride, and I demurred from a few, let's say, challenging obstacles that I would normally have just taken on mm-hmm. and just would have thrown myself at. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what fresh hell is this? What is going on? This is, you know, I, I, I could see the uh, fear blossoming in the, in my I don't want to say I'm getting old and fearful. I just want to say that I reached a point where I was like sort of naturally trending more conservative in my riding. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, oh, hell no. And part of that, and this is a theme that you explore quite a bit. Part of that is that you can't reach flow states without, you know, riding on the edge of your. Yeah, a certain amount of challenge. Yes. Right. So I want to maintain that level of challenge Mm -hmm. in order to, you know, stay sharp, but also access those those flow states. I wrote actually a piece about flow state for the site. Yesterday, it's up today. But those are the experiences I want to have. Those are the feelings I want to feel. And so on this ride, I was like, I got to go for it. You know, I I accept that I'm going to hurt myself some. Uh, and I also accept that my older body doesn't tolerate falling off as well as my younger body did. But, you know, that's the game. That's it. Like, if not that, then what am I doing out here? Uh, well, it can, it can still be a good time, but I I'm ill equipped to argue that. What with the fact that uh, I'm cur- currently nursing some uh, torn up skin. Yeah, well, tell. Let's hear about your crash. <laughs> uh, it's funny. My situation is so like yours, and yet so unlike yours. Um, I was on a trail that I've only been on once before, so really don't know it. And uh, this part of Annadale State Park mountain bike ride, I should clarify, there were yep. four of us. Uh, mm-hmm. I was third in rotation. And in this part of Annadale State Park, you're out of like all the really heavy forest. There are trees, but it's not, you know, you're not like two F stops down in terms of a loss of light. Mm -hmm. This is uh, uh, getting enough sunlight that the grass has grown fairly high. And what what you see ahead of you sometimes is not trail, but what looks to be like um, uh, a row through corn. You know, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. and airy so, and open. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, except like, yeah. you know, I'm only seeing a space in the grass directing me at times. Mm. And so, uh, we get low and I come around this slight bend and it's downhill bends, right? Levels out for just a couple feet. And then there's an ever so slight rise, 
um, and then it passes a tree. Well, because of that tree, you don't have a lot of room to run wide. Mm. Yeah. And so what you have there at the bottom of, you know, of the downhill portion of the trail immediately after that, you've got some single track that has been broken away. Um, and then some pulverized plant material indicating where certain individuals have come to a rest yeah. uh, because they weren't able to stay on the trail on the inside. You know, you, the, the trail has to maintain that arc because there's a tree in the way, <laughs> right? You can't run wide. Um, but if you haven't read it well enough, right, right. The, the and, outcome is obvious. Yeah. Um, and so I look down and I see how the edge of the trail has been broken away in ways. And so suddenly uh, yeah. now what was 12 inches is maybe only eight inches. Yep. Yep. Stay inside, stay inside. Wham. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, the surface here is kind of like brown concrete dusted with a whole wheat flour. Yep. And, uh, my elbow hit immediately. Uh, mm. It was the first thing to hit, but, you know, only in that sort of fraction of a second that you need those cameras they use at the Olympics uh, to tell. It made contact with the ground portion of the ground uh, right before my right thigh, particularly my right quadricep mm. Uh, mm. hit. And um, so I'm on the ground. and. There's this unnatural silence, we'll call it. <laughs> yep. And then and then my friends, the two who have already, you know, finished the trail and are at, sitting at the uh, intersection 16 or 18 feet away, they go, you OK? Right. And my next move was to just make a guttural sound. That's really what it comes down. It was a, you know, kind of a, a, a moan, a, a, right. an expression of uh, otherworldly discomfort. Right. A sound that comes from somewhere below. Yeah. Reptile brain. Yeah. 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 Uh, you know, this, this was one of those occasions where I didn't use my words, but nobody was going to come at me and say, use your words. Right. I didn't, I didn't need words for what that was. Right, right. So then, would you say it was onomatopoetic? I wasn't so much poetic, but it was onomata something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So my friend Adam, Adam comes over and uh, he's like, I'm going to twist your foot to get it out of the pedal because my right foot was still, you know, yeah. locked in. And so he starts to turn and he's like, does this hurt? I'm like, no, that's not the thing that hurts. And so boop, he gets it out. He picks 30 pounds of bike up off of me. Uh, he sets it down and then he helps me stand up. And I think it was my very next step that told me that I might need a minute or two to collect myself. I went to step forward and I stepped backward. Mm. Uh, you were quote unquote shaken. Uh, yeah. Or stirred something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I get 
I kind of staggered my way down onto the legal trail. And what I didn't know at the moment was that both uh, Adam and Alan were busy thinking, if we have to call the elevator, we're going to drag him onto the legal trail because we were on an illegal trail. Uh-huh. I fell on an illegal trail. And uh, again, I'm going to use another uh technical term. Uh, This would be a term of art. There's hell to pay if you ask Mm. for help and you're on an illegal trail. Sure. Yeah. So they were thinking, we're just going to drag him to the, you know, onto the legal trail before Mm. we ask for help. Yeah. Uh, Before they summon the helicopter. Bingo. Yeah. Henry one, Henry one is what they call it here. And, uh, I mean, I was not interested in taking a ride on Henry one, uh, under any circumstance. Right. Uh, I don't know what that check looks like, but I'm going to say that uh, I seem to recall something about two numbers before the comma. Right. So I'm standing there and I don't actually remember this part, but later on at the barbecue for Alan's birthday, uh, they reminded me how the two of them were standing on other on either side of me, kind of like U.S. Marshals. And I'm the prisoner being herded into the courtroom. Right. They they each have a hold of, you know, my upper arm. Um, you know, so gradually the, the dazing decreased. Uh, I go home, you know, pedaling one leg at largely. Uh, I get home. I clean myself up. Uh, and then with a little more help, got the elbow cleaned up a little bit more and bandaged. And then I just really sat around for quite a while. Anyway, yeah, so I spent a fair chunk of the afternoon just sitting around before making an appearance at the barbecue. And then the next day, I I watched three movies. I was on the couch. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. 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 Uh, walking was not uh, something that I looked like I was particularly competent at. Now, um, is that pain or just discombobulation? Pain. 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 Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. that, that right, uh, quadricep, um, yeah, was angry. Yeah. yeah. Angry, angry and, yeah. and, uh, striking, you know, it's yeah. like a wildcat strike. I'm, I'm out of here. Right. Uh, so that was Saturday. Um, and this is Thursday as we're recording and I've got yellow and green and blue and purple. Nice. Um, yeah, uh, it's finally starting to come up. I mean, like initially there were just some scrapes and, and no bruising. Now the bruising is appearing. You know, it's taken mm. that long to work its way up through the muscle. Elbow still bugs me. But, uh, you know, I, I say all this and uh, like you, I was signed up for an event on Saturday. Um, the, the first grasshopper of the season for me. I have done two rides, uh, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday, I went out an hour and then an hour and a half. And I rode a gravel bike with 40 millimeter tires pumped up to 26 and 29 PSI front rear, respectively, on pavement and was uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, Jostling would be Mm. the the best term for it. Jostling. Yes. Uh, And so I texted Miguel at the Grasshoppers and I said, um, yeah, see if you can do something with my spot for somebody else. Interesting. Yeah. Cause there is this, this body that I currently inhabit 
um, on an unpaved surface is uh, those are two beams I don't want to cross. I get you. It's it's interesting. Just the last couple of days, I've been polling my friends with this question. How much would you pay to zero your physical problems, all your issues, all your stuff to zero those out and be, you know, whole and pain free today? Not to say that you couldn't hurt yourself in the future, but just to just to zero out past damage. And I got answers from nothing you know, that pain is a good reminder of blah, blah, blah. I stopped listening and $500,000. And that was from a friend of mine who's a personal injury attorney in, in New Jersey and knows what injuries <laughs> are valued at. Okay. He said, okay. Uh, he so said, he brought a real market rate perspective to this. He did. 500 grand is what oh. he would pay. Um, I don't know that he has 500 grand, you know, we're just throwing that, that number around. It was a hypothetical, but, but, you know, there's definitely a continuum. My number is pretty high because I have last time I went to the doctor for a, for a checkup, Uh, it was with a new doctor and she was looking at my chart and she said, wow, you have quite, quite the list of trauma here in this chart. And I, I was sort of like, what, what are you, what are you talking about? And then she read down the list. She was like broken collarbone, sprained ankle, lacerated hand. She just went down and then she just read it. I was like, Oh, geez. <laughs> I felt sort of, an, I felt proud embarrassed. Is that a word? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the more socially acceptable version of a humble brag. Yeah. 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 I was like, yeah, I, screw myself up quite a bit. I don't know. I did that. (laughs) I'm not accident prone. Well, this is the other thing. The, the, the text chain for the guys who are writing the event, I put the question to them and you know, some, some numbers started to come out and I, and I just wrote to all of them, you know, subsequently I said, look, if your number is under a thousand dollars, you're not trying very hard. (laughs) And I'm, you know, I'm embarrassed to be your friend. Well, I, I think, you know, if you're going to ask a question like that, guilting people is definitely a, 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 an approved tactic. Well, you know, I don't want it to sound like macho bullshit, but I also think that if you're living the life that we're living, you know, you, you could even even I'm not trying to be the first or the best or the whatever. But, you know, I'm trying hard. I'm trying hard to live my life. Yeah. I'm living hard if I can. Okay. I don't know. I just think that's a play hard. I don't, I'm not that into working hard, but um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm working pretty hard at playing hard. I don't know if that's how that's. Yeah. 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 That's where my priorities are. And if you read my writing on TCI, you'll know that that's where my priorities are and not in the work. But anyway, I, I, yeah, yeah. You, you, we can count on you for truth and advertising. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, this is Uh, a lot. Let's, let's take a break. Let's take a break on this, all this mortality and vulnerability stuff, uh, and come back. Okay. What do you think? Uh, I'm I'm down. Yeah. Let's take, we'll take a break and be back in a moment. The pace slide is brought to you by the cycling independent. 
We are the only online cycling publication that's entirely reader-supported, with absolutely no advertiser, sponsor, or investor commitments influencing our editorial. We don't have a sales team or middle management. It's just the three founders and a collection of talented and committed contributors who independently produce our content. To maintain our commitment to honest, reader-focused editorial with the best writers in the business, we need your help. Every dollar that comes in goes directly toward creating the content you see. A subscription is cheap, easy, and it goes a heck of a long way. Just go to cyclingindependent.com, click on support TCI, and choose your level. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with the Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, time for your pull. So this week, I actually have a question. Uh, it's not truly a listener question, but I got a message through Facebook from an old high school friend this week. He's a bike guy. And in his local circle, you know, someone asked him about buying a bike. You know, they wanted to know what sort of bike to shop for. And I expect that for many of our listeners, they are the local bike guru to all their non-cycling friends. So I think this is pretty applicable. I'm going to leave out of this the actual availability of bicycles in this pandemic world of ours. Um, It has, you know, based on what I'm hearing, uh, it has improved some in some places, you know, some markets and with some brands. But honestly, I know that just what you can buy can derail, uh, you know, an intended purchase. Sure. Uh, you know, availability being what it is. So my answer to him was based more, uh, more or less, uh, on an ideal, uh, market. Um, you know, like say 18 months ago. Right. To me, what bike to buy as with all things, you know, really comes down to what sounds like fun. So Mm. when I was working in retail and I got a customer who had no idea what they wanted beyond something with two wheels and pedals, I'd ask them, Hey, what sounds like fun? You know, where do you want to go? What do you want to see? Uh, Do you want to get away from people and see nature or do you want to go fast? Right. Those are the sorts of questions I'd ask. And you can divide quite easily, I might add, a great many folks into one of two groups. Those who want to get dirty and see nature and those for whom getting dirty is a sign that things went wrong. Right. They're willing to sweat, but they don't want to come home covered either in dust or mud. Uh, yeah. And, you know, hey, that's perfectly legitimate, right? Uh, if getting dirty doesn't sound like fun. A road bike it is. Right. If getting dirty does sound like fun, if being out in nature and away from, you know, great masses of humanity, uh, then obviously the answer is a mountain bike. But of course, these two answers leave out gravel bikes and hybrids, you know, uh, a host of other little niches. Um, And those things honestly only confuse the answer. I'm not going to mention gravel bikes to someone unless they are a reasonably dedicated athlete already and know they want to kind of mix things up, you know, Mm -hmm. go as fast as possible. But, you know, don't flinch at the idea of dropping fifteen hundred dollars or more on a bike. Mm. Um, 
The big danger here, I think, is that so many people think, oh, nature, that sounds fun. Uh, but they also think, oh, I may want to ride the local bike path or ride to work once in a while. I think this kind of echoes your buddy in London to a certain right. degree. Yeah. Right. Ultimately, what I'm leading up to is the dreaded hybrid question. Sure. Uh, there are times when a hybrid really is the right bike. Absolutely. It is the right bike for someone for whom the alternative is no activity. For the person yeah. who just wants to ride with their prepubescent kids, a hybrid is awesome. Yep. You know, uh, and it's a, a handy thing for commuting into work if you're going to do some of that. Right. Absolutely. <sighs> however, I, I seem to do this a lot. You know, the, the however. Yeah. Um, if you have a friend who is, quote unquote, athletic and maybe runs 5Ks or even the odd marathon or half marathon or does tough mutters or anything that can cause them to watch their diet and consult a training plan. A hybrid is a disservice. Uh, it, one of the lines in my in my note back to him was friends don't let friends ride hybrids. <laughs> <laughs> and this really is the point to this poll. Ideally, the real service to your friend isn't helping them pick a bike. It's helping them pick a lifestyle. And by that, I mean directing them into a community. Once you have friends who are doing the things that you're doing, you have something much more valuable, uh, like you and me chasing friends of ours around, right? Mm, uh, right. A fair chunk of my advice is about driving them into a bike shop that actually supports the local culture. Helping someone visualize an aspiration like finishing their first Grand Fondo and having mm. a beer, paella, and laughing with friends as their legs ache. That's, <laughs> that's not really about exercise. It's about finding right. a tribe. You know, most of us like cycling better when we share it with somebody else. And so... You know, for that reason, yeah, when I get a question about a hybrid, it's, you know, it's really a question of like, are you planning on just doing a little bit of riding here and there? Or do you really want to start seeing things? Sure. Yeah, I think I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. And you find these you find these athletic ish people who you know want to go fast because they're that sort of active person mm -hmm. but their use case is a hybrid use case <laughs> and then you're in you're like i don't know if i want to put push you to a drop bar bike you know like it's a real tweener situation well to me very often yeah what they describe is a little of this a little of this a little of this right you know, and that's like the uh, in Nordic skiing, you know, there were the hybrid skis that you could do uh, a little kick and glide on. But, you know, you could also theoretically theoretically skate on them. And right. what you ended up was uh, with was a pair of skis that did both of those things very poorly. Right. Right. Well, this is this is a little bit my beef with hybrids as a category. And mm -hmm. I, I, I wrote a piece at the beginning of TCI called Revenge of the Hybrids, <laughs> yes. which was really an ode to, to I love the hybrid. I'm not I don't want to I don't want listeners to think that I'm crapping on hybrids because I think, you know, it's it's the way the bulk of suburban, exurban humanity thinks of 
riding. Yeah. But I think the, I don't, given its chunk of the cycling market as a category, I personally believe that product managers have done a bad job of making cool hybrids. <laughs> you know, if you think about, think about, for example, the difference between a, a, a fixie that's been made out of some, you know, a steel 80s track bike, <laughs> which is fast and whippy. And, you know, you can argue it's for hipsters and it's dumb on some level. I happen to love those bikes, too, because I love all bikes. But right. I think you don't have to make a hybrid that has like, you know, upswept bars and a goofy up angled stem. Like you could make a sexy sporty hybrid that, um, and there are, there, they are out there, but they are the exception to the rule. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That would be a cool thing to buzz around town on, be with your kids and still feel like you were, you know, going fast and doing the thing rather than tootling, you know, and I'm, yes. I'm a big fan of tootling. Don't, you know, again, I don't want this to turn into some kind of athletic elitist garbage. We are not tootle opposed. No, no, definitely not opposed to tootling. But I think when you're talking about a certain type of friend to whom you would recommend something, mm -hmm. you find yourself in that, in that valley, in that gap between like, maybe they're not ready for a gravel bike but there's not a sexy enough hybrid to meet their athleticism or whatever. Does that make sense? Am I, am I? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe I do the division a little bit differently, but yeah, the, the same, the same thinking process applies. Right. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I think hybrids are wonderful. The problem is I think they produce too many of them and put too many people on them because it's an easier sale because they can say, well, yeah, you can do a little off road on this. You can ride on the road on this. Sure. You'll be able to finish your first triathlon on this. Right. right. And, and it's terrible at most of those things. Yeah. And so I don't actually blame the product managers uh, who, you know, work their butts off to make these things cool. I blame the bike shop staff who don't want to go to the effort of helping someone to figure out Here's where you're going to fit in best. Here's where your idea of a good time is going to most resonate. And here's where you're going to find a community. There is no community of hybrid riders. Okay. I'm just going to say that. Right. That's hybrid the, riders aren't meeting up to. There's not out. a tribe. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think that is right. But I think that you hit on at the beginning of this, you're talking about when you were in retail and you, you would ask questions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I used to train uh, bike shop staff how to sell things. Mm -hmm. And, and um, you know, it was a very short clinic, sales clinic. Mm -hmm. because, because I don't think, I think selling is, is the wrong way to think about it. Selling has these bad connotations, right? What you're, what you're doing is consulting. A yeah. person has walked through the door of a bike shop. That's a pretty good indication that they're interested in a bike or bikes, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're not taking advantage of this person. You know, you're there to provide guidance and expertise. 
Mm-hmm. And the only way you can provide good guidance and expertise is by asking questions. Yeah. And then as long as you're giving honest answers to their, to their, to their return questions, you're leading them to the right bike. That's what selling is. It's not like trying to trick someone into getting a more expensive thing or that thing. You know, it's getting them the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And who in getting the right thing doesn't want to explain what they want, what their experience is or what their dream is, right? Yeah. It's yeah. not an adversarial thing. It's like, let's get together and talk about this. And if you're not willing to talk about it, if someone walks in the door and you think, oh, that's a hybrid, you're, you're just doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely and, and, agree. And again, to be clear, there's a ton of people out there in the local bike shops who do do it right. Absolutely. And there's not a ton of training for those folks in in actual consultative selling techniques. So I get that they are where they are. But Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what you're talking about really is true that there is an application for hybrids. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, most of that application is being hung in the garage for the four weekends a year that the weather is nice enough to go for a short ride with a significant other or the kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's seldom a daily rider unless, yeah. it's, you know, maybe it's a commuter at that point, but there again, the commuter genre is pretty wide. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, there's a way as we're talking about this, it occurs to me, there's a way to separate uh, riders who should be on other sorts of bikes from everyone who should be sold a hybrid. And really, because I, not that this is the, the litmus test itself, but it does indicate something that I think uh, is very helpful. It's like, do you ever go hard enough in some sort of exercise capacity to experience pain. Do Mm. you enjoy getting to that point where it's like, Oh wow, this kind of hurts. If so, you are not a candidate for a hybrid. Right. You're yeah. A a hybrid is for somebody who does not want to suffer. Yeah. Someone who wants to tootle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's perfectly fine. Or short point A to point B. I think that makes a ton of sense. Sure. And and a drop bar bike doesn't have to be some aggro, you know, uh, suffer fest machine either, right? I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I feel passionately about these things. Uh-huh. Yeah, I care. I mean, yeah. you know, I like, I like seeing more cyclists out there. And... Yeah. You know, honest to goodness, I mean, as you and I have just described, uh, you know, without intentionally showing it, but you know, it's like, yeah, when you have ride, when you have friends to ride with, you go out, you know, you ride more. Yeah. 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 I think you, I think you have to see what habit the person can, can develop realistically. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 And that's why it's so important to ask them about their current habits. Right. You know, yeah. If you've got somebody who's a gym rat. And they know everybody at their gym. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't allow them to get a a hybrid. That's just, they're, they're primed for joining another community. Right. They they like tribes. I should add that if you are listening today and you work in a bike shop and something we said just now helped you in any way, 
send us five bucks. You know, we don't take ads. <laughs> consider <laughs> consider that your five dollar seminar. Yeah. Uh, and and if you spend it on coffee. Yeah, I am. Or, or Mountain Dew. Right. Yeah. Uh, and if you disagree wholeheartedly, um, we'll give you another uh, address where you can mail the mail. <laughs> yeah. Or crush us in the comments. I, I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> well, here it comes. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to Paceline Picks. That what are you doing good. this week? Well, this week I'm picking cold showers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. So typically I don't know the pace how to sell that. Well, I'm about to do it. Get ready. Okay. Typically the pace line pick is a product. Yeah. And I, I thought about it a lot this week. I thought about all the products. There's so many good products out there. Um, but sometimes I don't feel great about advocating that someone needs to spend money to improve their cycling experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, often spending money will enhance your cycling experience in some way, but it's also not necessary. So I was thinking about like, what is it that I do that maybe other people don't that might enhance, yeah, might improve their cycling. So it's a cold shower. And, uh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Sure. So please continue. Yeah. I started last summer with the cold showers. So I was in the habit of going out and hammering in the mornings. And because I had more time than when I was working at a, at a, in an office at a desk job, I was coming back in a condition I'd call sweated out. Okay. Uh, and that it's that charming place where you've actually expelled all the ready moisture in your body, along with your onboard salt minerals, et cetera. You're just, you have, you have desiccated yourself. (laughs) (laughs) So my neighbor is a cycling buddy. uh, And he also got a pool last summer. So a lot of days I'd come back, sweat it out, hose off quickly or sometimes not, and then drop into his pool Mm -hmm. uh, where the water temp was probably somewhere in the fifties. And that was amazing. That was amazing to go from like, you know, overheated, really just at the end of the heat rope. And, you know, I don't do well in the heat. Right. uh, To like instant cool, just the shock that your body feels. It was great. So on the days the pool got too warm, you know, when it would, I would say when it was comfortable for someone just to step into, I'd go. I'd go back and uh, just take a cold shower. And um, I know there's a lot of science looking at the benefits of, you know, cold therapy, cryotherapy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't really want to get into this study, that study and talking about endorphins and, you know, the stuff, the hormones and stuff that get released in that cold response. Mm -hmm. I, I think there is stuff there, but that's not really my thing. For me, if if I do it and it feels good or better, then that's my that's kind of my guide. That seems reasonable. Yeah. Um, the proof for me is in how it feels. And let me tell you, it feels cold. Um, <laughs> uh, it, al- it also leaves 
me feeling sort of fresher and more alert than if I'd taken a hot shower. Well, okay. Yeah. More alert. Yeah, sure. You know, that whole shock to the system thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, but also even after the shock to the system, you dry yourself off and it's still there. That, that freshness, that alertness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think after you've been out in the heat, really flogging yourself to then take a hot shower, which is most people's habit. And that's what I do in the winter. You know, I'm out in the cold. I'm in the weather all the time. Mm -hmm. I don't need to double down on cold in the winter. I take Mm -hmm. warm showers in the winter, but, uh, spring, summer, fall, a cold shower. Um, really it's, it has the power to kind of restore me in a way like yesterday I came home from the ride. I was hot and sweaty. I was sore. My ankle hurt. I kind of like limped upstairs and peeled off my kit. And I looked at the shower and I thought, I don't think I can do a cold shower. I just feel beaten, but I did it anyway. And actually I felt so much better after that and a, and a big iced coffee. (laughs) And I was like a normal human again, albeit with a gimpy ankle. Huh. Yeah. I, mm, I, mm, huh. I should uh, say, I find it harder to sustain the cold shower habit when I do it daily. If you're just going to try to use it as a one-off thing, it's pretty uncomfortable. Right? Like the initial hurt really hurts. Like you hit that cold and your your body yeah. like shrinks back. But when you do sure. it daily you you acclimate quickly you know by day two or three you're sort of like yeah this is not a big deal and it feels really good um so that's my pick for this week cold showers try it for a week try it for a week and just think about how your 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 body and your brain feel i'm so glad that you're advocating this to our listeners and not to me (laughs) i mean i'm pretending that you're not advocating it to me yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ad- going to do. No, I'm, I'm definitely not. advocating it to you. <laughs> I, I had a summer where I was playing in a drum and bugle corps, uh, or as we called them, dumb and bungle corps. Yes. Um, and because I tended to sleep later than everybody else in the classroom in which we slept, we had like three sets of bunk beds and another like eight beds oh. set up in a classroom. Yeah, and that was just legit. one of the classrooms in this building yeah. where the entire dumb and bungle core was living. So by the time I made it to the shower, all the hot water had long since been used uh, up. Yeah. And it didn't uh, feel therapeutic to you at that point. <laughs> you know, turning on uh turning on a shower uh by reaching around and then having to gradually ease yourself into the fast flowing water. Yeah. I mean, I I developed a kind of technique where I would begin by arcing my back way back uh, and beginning with the back of my head and then allowing it to start running down my back. Um, I did a summer of that and I don't see me doing that again. Hmm. It's possible based on this week's pick and my previous conversation about how I'm going to throw myself at this event on Saturday, despite (laughs) having no business being there, that discomfort is actually my milieu, my metier, you know? Uh, 
I mean, yeah, it's a yours is an interesting wheelhouse. I'm not comfortable unless I'm a little uncomfortable or or a lot. Uh, that could explain some of your taste more broadly for for cold. Yeah, because uh, I, I do be not right. share it. I mean, I live in a building with limitless hot water. Oh, and I figure that's probably worth about a hundred bucks of my overall rent each month. Mm. You know? I have two teenage boys, so there are there are often days when there's not only no hot water for me. I don't think anyone on our street could possibly have hot water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, yeah. yeah, boy. Uh, so my pick this week is going to have a good deal uh, less discomfort than yours. Okay. If that's what you're into, sure. <laughs> I I have a, a keen sense of the comfortable. Mm. Uh, so I'm picking the Pearl Izumi Interval Bib Short. You know, with bib shorts, there's been this weird arms race uh, yeah. over the last 10 years or so. They've been getting more and more expensive, but really only occasionally have they improved in quality, fit, or function. Mm. Uh I'm also thinking here in part about Asos, whose top of the line bibs have actually taken a step backward in comfort, mm. um, which dismays me to no end because I've been loving that company since like the 19 early 1990s. Mm. Uh, the crazy thing is that mid range bibs have actually improved quite a lot. Um, much of the technology that goes into Pearl's pro bib shorts can be found in the interval BIM shorts as well, um, which is, you know, their interval products have always been more budget oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yeah, they're not as expensive. They don't use quite as expensive materials, um, but they end up being really good overall. So like the interval bibs feature laser cut bib straps and laser cut hems. Well, that's not only more comfortable, but it reduces the amount of waste in construction and the amount of labor, which obviously helps keep the price down. Uh, so that's just one terrific way where what they started doing on their upper end products trickled down to lower end stuff. And, oh, look, the price didn't rise. Mm-hmm. Um, Pearl also has this technology called Intercool, uh, which I am not in a position to adequately explain here, but it will help keep riders cool on hot days. Um mm-hmm. The chamois that they use is the Elite Escape, uh, which is not a super, super high quality pad. But again, it's one of those things where it takes some features found in more expensive pads. Uh, This one has a floating top sheet. Uh, So what that means is that uh, you have the ability to slide around some in the bibs so that the part that's up against your skin can move against the pad so that you don't get chafed, Mm. um, which is something I've certainly had happen in less expensive bib shorts. Um, Let's see. It's got silicone leg grippers. Uh, It's got BioViz reflective elements to help, you know, I mean, provided they're not busy looking at their cell phone might help you in certain (laughs) circumstances. Uh, These are also... Interestingly, the most compressive bib shorts in Pearl's line, they've got a 34% lycra content. Um, Mm. And, you know, the thing I think about uh, compression 
bibs is that for anybody who's like carrying some spare tonnage, uh, like friends of mine who were active riders, then stopped for a while and now they're coming back in and none of their old kit fits, uh, compression can actually make you more comfortable. You feel less jostling of your body out on the road. So I'm, I am definitely a believer in compression. Here's the thing. My favorite feature of these bibs is how Pearl offers them in not three sizes, not four sizes, not even five sizes. They offer them in six sizes, Hmm. extra small to extra, extra large. These are the bibs that I absolutely recommend to friends who, you know, maybe carrying some spare weight uh, and Hmm. want something that's going to be comfortable, you know, and allows them to get back on the bike soon after. For someone who's never been a dedicated cyclist, recommending bib shorts, um, it's not an easy sell. Um, But on those occasions where people go, okay, I'm going to buy one set. I'm going to buy one set. I'll I'll give you a shot on this. They always come back and go, oh, bib shorts, huh? Right. Who knew? Right. Uh, (laughs) um, And then, you know, there's one other little feature that I think people will dig. I'm not sure why, maybe because we're deep into the season already. Pearl Izumi has discounted these on their site. They're only one twelve fifty. Yeah. Which you know. is, yeah, which is a lot of money for a single article of clothing. And yet for bib shorts is nothing. Yeah. For a good pair of bib shorts, uh, that's, that's an insanely good price. Yeah, um, there sure. aren't many custom programs where you can buy a pair of team bib shorts for that kind of money anymore. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. So, uh, they're really nice. Um, and they even come in a couple of colors. So, you know, if you're looking for something that keeps you on a budget, but provides great quality, check them out. Pearl Izumi interval. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the day when bib shorts become pneumatic. You know, when you, when you're getting ready to go out on a ride uh-huh. and you adjust your tire pressure and then move the valve directly to your leg where you're able to inflate your chamois to the appropriate PSI for the day's ride. That's what I'm looking forward to. A future pace line is going to discuss the first pneumatic chamois. That's my prediction. So there was somebody who tried doing something along those lines. Um, the second pneumatic chamois. <laughs> We're going to cover it. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. I mean, it had a little squeezy blow up thing. Oh, yeah. Like the Reebok pump. Mm-hmm. Remember the Reebok pump? Those shoes? Yeah. Well, yeah. they put they put that technology in a helmet. Yeah. There was a Bell helmet that used it. Uh, yeah. And then everybody ended up with headaches because they pump it up too hard. <laughs> I just want pneumatic everything. I want pneumatic everything. Um, I think, I think, cause everyone, everyone, yeah, cycling has this stiffness fetish and this, you know, all of these things that don't take into consideration that we, we do like comfort. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Um, before we end the show, I just want to acknowledge the passing of somebody who was significant and bike racing, not just uh, here in California, but in the U.S. Uh, Lawrence Malone uh, mm-hmm. passed away this week. Uh, details are still a little 
fuzzy on this. Um, it seems that he was hit by a car uh, in Lancaster, uh, which is middle of nowhere, uh, kind of north of L.A. Um, I mean, Malone, he had uh, he had an incredible reputation as a bike racer in general, but he was best known as a cyclocrosser. Uh, he won the national championships uh, in cyclocross five years in a row, 1975 mm. to 1979. Um, he, he was one of the very first guys to ever race cross in Europe, uh, picked up the very cool nickname Der Springer. Um, <laughs> back during that era, uh, the Dutch and Belgians weren't known for being the great cyclocross stars. It was the Swiss, mm. uh, hence the German uh, nickname. Dude was just a, a total badass. I mean, he was bunny hopping barriers before anybody else. Um, mm. He may not have been the first, but he was doing it early on um, yeah. and was just universally respected for being super dedicated as a racer. There are some really funny stories of him, like uh, one where he slept under a boat that was uh, in the parking lot of a hotel crawled out from under it in the morning and then went into the hotel before the race and ate their continental breakfast. <laughs> so, uh, he was, uh, he, he was, you know, known as like, you know, a, a true card carrying dirt bag bike racer. Yeah. Um, and you know, the guys who were racing him against him back in the day, you know, they knew like if he was at the race, it was not going to be, uh, easy. It was, right. uh, he was probably going to be on the podium. If you yeah. can sleep under a boat and win a race, full respect. Yeah. Yeah. Sleep on pavement and then win something. Yeah. Yeah. Neat trick. With a stolen breakfast in your guts. Legend. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, you know, he leaves behind family. Part of that family is an eight year old son. I've got Oof. an eight year old and I just, it kills it me. Yeah. yeah. It hurts. Um, but he was, he was a hell of a badass and also known to be a hell of a nice guy, uh, was inducted into the, uh, U S bicycling hall of fame, um, four years ago, um, yeah. four or five years ago, something like that. Um, just, uh, you know, super nice guy. It's awfully sorry. Uh, awfully sad to see his passing. Yeah. If you don't, if you haven't heard of him, go, go read about him. Find out. Yeah. 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 Um, I, uh, somebody put together, uh, a, a little reel on YouTube. I'll see if I can't find, uh, that link and put it in our show notes. Alrighty. Well, that's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. Keep those questions coming. Uh, you all are sending some good stuff again. Now, uh, if you've got an idea, please drop by the cycling independent and put a suggestion in the comments. You know, you can also, uh, reach us, uh, on Facebook. You can message, uh, the cycling independent. So that's certainly an option. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find until next week. I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to the pace line.